Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. Two years ago, there was a huge uptick in the number of times a certain word was used on Fox News. The word was woke. And these days, right-leaning politicians seem to use it as a catch-all for everything they don't like about people they don't like. Essentially, they weaponized a word with a long positive history in black culture. This hour, we're taking a look at the history of woke, how it's changed, and what it means in present-day Nashville and beyond. But first, the Metro Nashville Police Department is recalculating response times for 911 calls going back several years. The move follows a recent report from the Community Oversight Board that found response times had doubled or in some cases tripled. Since that report came out, MNPD has changed the way it calculates response times. In the process, the department removed data for more than 22,000 calls. WPLN's criminal justice reporter Paige Flager has been following the story and joins us now. Hey, Paige. Hey, Nina. So how did you realize there was a discrepancy between MNPD's current 911 data and the data in the report? Right. So the Community Oversight Board put out this report, and I did a story about that, um, just about what you were saying about how response times were up. Uh, I sent the report to MMPD and asked them for comment to include in my story about some of the factors that might lead to response times being up, as they are across police departments across the nation. Um, And they responded to me and we included their perspective and we published the story. And then the next day, MMPD came back to me and asked me to correct my story. Um, And they said that the data that was in the Community Oversight Board report was wrong. And when I asked them what was wrong about it, they said that MMPD had changed the way they were analyzing and reporting out their numbers since that report came out. So now when you compared the numbers, what did you see? Yeah, so MMPD had excluded data from more than 22,000 calls. So that's anywhere from three to 5,000 calls per year. And as a result of that, across every call type, um, MMPD's new numbers show average call response times anywhere from a few minutes to even 15 minutes shorter than the data had originally showed. And I want to make clear that the oversight board got the numbers for their report from MMPD. So it wasn't that the numbers were wrong, requiring a correction. It was that MMPD had changed them. So it sounds like this is a change that makes them look better. Is that a fair take? Yes. Well, so the data analysis that they did um, does does improve their call time numbers. So we can take a, a little bit of a deeper dive um, and look at shootings, for example. Okay. So the original analysis that was published in the COB's report found that shootings had gone from a 10 minute response time to a 30 minute response time in just a few years. That's a big difference. Yes. MMPD's new numbers show that shooting response times went from about 10 minutes to 16 minutes. So That's a much smaller difference. <laughs> exactly, okay. yes. And so it's a pretty big difference in between what uh, what the Community Oversight Board's numbers, the, the police department's original numbers in the report, and what 
the police department's data dashboard says now. Well, when you asked about what, that difference, what did the police say? Yeah, so they said that they made the change in the way that they were analyzing their call response data um, when they saw that response times were high. So an MMPD spokesperson told me, we saw that the average response time was abnormally long for shootings. For example, in our data dashboard last week, upon IT's research of response times, erroneous data was removed. And they said that some data was included where an officer arrived on a scene but didn't enter the code that would indicate that they had arrived on the scene. And without that, it looked like the response time was especially long. Um, and, you know, not to, to take you and our listeners back to Statistics 101, but essentially the department is not including data that falls outside of three standard deviations from the mean. So those would be calls that either took an abnormally short amount of time to respond to or on the other side of the bell curve, um, an abnormally long response time. Uh, and those are the outliers. And so while those data points are not included in this analysis, MMPD is still using them in other data sets. So is that the best way to analyze this type of data? So I'm not a numbers guy, but uh, <laughs> I called someone who is. So I spoke to a data analyst who's named Jeff Asher. He actually specializes in looking at criminal justice data, including call, re call response times. And he says it's a valid way to calculate, but it isn't necessarily representative of what's actually happening. Instead of using standard deviations like MMPD is, he's conducted similar analyses that eliminated calls for service that took more than 24 hours. And he says it's more transparent to pick a number like 24 hours because standard deviations shift as more data is added to the set. And so it's less clear which calls are being removed. I would prefer the, to use something of, of a hard cutoff um, because there's no reason to use three standard deviations rather than like than a specific number, especially for like emergencies that sometimes you're going to get emergencies that take a couple of hours. And by just removing them because they're outliers, the person still waited that long. He says he hasn't seen other departments using this specific method. Um, and MMPD's new analysis shows an average response time that, like I said, is shorter than what the data originally showed. So what's the big takeaway here? Yeah, so Jeff Asher says that it is important to not get caught up in the statistical weeds here. There is a tendency to say, to, to care about that, that difference, like whether or not the outliers were included, when in reality, what's most important is the trend. And regardless of how MMPD is running their data analysis, the trend is clear. People are waiting longer for police to respond to emergencies in 2022 than they did in the years prior. Paige Flager is WPLN's criminal justice reporter. Paige, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for your reporting. Me. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going back in time to the origins of the word woke. What does being woke mean to you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville.
Maybe you just started hearing the term woke after it became a way for some conservatives to insult anyone and anything they think of as liberal. But the term is older than you might think. Or maybe you remember Spike Lee warning black folks to wake up in the 90s. Or you might even recall hearing the term woke in the 60s. But it goes back even farther than that. Almost 100 years ago, the blues singer Lead Belly wrote a song called Scottsboro Boys, and it includes a warning to be aware. Let's listen to a little bit of that song and then hear Lead Belly describe his inspiration. Don't you never go to Alabama to try to sing? Go to Alabama and you better watch out. Land of all that you're going to jump in shower. Scottsboro Boys, Scottsboro Boys, tell you what it's all about. What did the Scottsboro boys do, anyway, to get in all this trouble? Well, they was down there, and they supposed to have been riding in a, on a freight train. And they were riding in the boxcar, and they run up on some white women. And so down in Alabama, I guess the train stopped in the yard down there somewhere. Well, and some of them found all the boys and girls in the same boxcar. Some was different cars. And so I guess it's some of the people down there, they just said, well, they see them boys now with them white women. That was the trouble about it. Then they went out and made some like some loud cry about the boys being there with the women. You see, that is all it was to it. They just saw the women. They didn't see nothing else wrong. But anyhow, they put the boys in jail, and it's in that six long years, well, the state, all the whole United States, got together. And they got out for them, and they come to New York. And the lawyer what got him out, I know him pretty good. I've met him. And uh, he showed me the Scottsboro Boys, and I shake hands with him, so I made this little song about down there. So I, I advise everybody to be a little careful when they go along through that, but stay woke, keep their eyes open. That was 1938. If you didn't catch it, he said, best stay woke, keep the eyes open. Now, our first guests know quite a bit about the origins of wokeness. Elijah Watson wrote a three-part deep dive into the history of the term for the hip-hop news rag OK Player. And Linda Wynn is the assistant director for state programs at the Tennessee Historical Commission and a former Fisk University professor. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Now, we'll get into the whole political element in a little bit, but let's just start with the basics. Linda, what's the definition of woke? Well, you know, to me, the definition of woke is being aware, being aware of your environment, being aware of anything that's going on, be it political, social, or otherwise. It's just being aware of your surroundings and what is taking place in your particular environment. Now, before it got picked up and co-opted, who was saying it? I mean, other than Lead Belly, <laughs> who was saying woke? Well, you know, if you go back and and listen to some of Erica Badu's music, she's using the term woke. Uh, you have another uh, individual uh, that was a, a singer, uh, childish, uh, Gambiel, was using the term woke. You know, if I think about the music of, of my youth, uh, maybe a little bit past my youth, but uh, wake up everybody, mm. uh, you, you know, look at what's going on. Uh, so 
it's been in the African-American vernacular for a very long time. And, and what would the context be? Like, getting a little more specific, what, what are people saying, really saying, when they're saying, come on, wake up, get woke? Well, uh, basically what they're saying is, you know, especially when you look in, in terms of the, the African-American community, you know, it's very difficult to navigate America in a black body. Mm-hmm. And so being woke is, again, aware of your environment. Isn't that what Led Betty was, was saying? Be right. aware of your environment. <laughs> Be woke. Um, if you go back to... Uh, the 2010s with Mike Brown. Um, well, you can probably go back a little bit before that with Trayvon Martin. You know, it was being woke. It was in the African-American community. Uh, be, again, it's being aware of, of the environment, surroundings, um, and, and even what down I'm, to the political the lines system. Here, uh, what the risks. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what the risks are of, again, navigating in America— uh, regardless of what region of America you may be in, right. in a black body. Now, you mentioned that that word woke features prominently in a song by Erica Badu from her 2008 album, New America Part One. Here's Master Teacher. Let's listen. Even if your baby ain't got no money to support your baby, stay Even when the preacher tells you some lies and cheating on your mama, stay Elijah, you interviewed Georgia Ann Muldrow, who collaborated with Badu on this song. What did she have to say about staying woke? What what did this mean to her? So really, just to second what Linda said is basically the same kind of sentiment, just being aware um, of yourself, your environment, and especially in, you know, in the context of just being black in America, just the our complex relationship to this country and being forcibly moved to this country and the just long line of hurt, joy, pain, sadness, happiness that kind of comes with that lineage. Um, on top of just that being aware of your place um, in this country. Now, when you started really digging into the history of Woke, you ended up giving a lot of attention to the author, William Melvin Kelly. Tell me about how he relates to wokeness. So that was really kind of the first person people began to credit it to after Erica Badu. And... The reason for that is because of his New York Times essay, If You're Woke, You Dig It, um, which basically speaks to a similar sentiment, although he was primarily speaking to how black slang quickly becomes appropriated. Um, And he's, you know, it's really prophetic in that way, just seeing how like even more quickly that tends to happen in the age of social media. 
Um, but he doesn't use it. He doesn't use that term again throughout the piece. Um, but just the fact that it's in the title, a lot of people look to him as kind of the precursor to that phrase getting in the hands of Erica Badu. And from him, you know, then you kind of have that extension. But as you mentioned before, you know, you have Lead Belly, you also have Marcus Garvey. So even before him, there was already other examples of people using woke, stay woke, stay awake in this kind of more politically aware context. What I, you mentioned, you know, Kelly, in that kind of prophetic sense of a black vernacular being appropriated and kind of turned on its head and misused. And and that's really what this is conversation is all about. Right. I'm I, for so long, woke was one of those words that a person might not hear if they weren't black or if they weren't actively having conversations about racial inequities. Linda, what is your sense of how it broke out into the vocabulary of America at large? Well, I think it broke out uh, in America at large, really coming after uh, George Floyd. Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in, in when I look at it from a historical perspective, I look at the election of Barack Obama in 2008. I look at what happened to George Floyd. I look at the response to George Floyd um, and people of all races were out in the streets protesting. But there was a significant number of white young people who were protesting. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was the reaction to the number of young whites protesting that the generation just before them said, oh. Basically, they saw wokeness in action. They saw wokeness in action and... They thought this can't happen. And mm -hmm. so from that, you you have people like DeSantis, who is banning books uh, about anything that he does not agree with, uh, from, from African-American history to gender to, you know, whatever it may be, the pronouns. Um, and when you go into banning books and telling people what they can and cannot read, then, and from my perspective, if you have young people who are coming up who are not being introduced to or allowed to see, the brain can't process it. And so, therefore, where you had generations prior to, you know, the children that they say are being impacted, they won't know anything about the struggles that different races and uh, genders have gone through to be accepted and given the same freedoms, rights, and privileges that others are given, specifically white males. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona, in for your host, Khalil Ekuona. We're talking this hour about wokeness and how it's been weaponized. 
Now, a few years ago, director Jordan Peele released Get Out, the iconic black horror film where a wealthy white family seduces and hypnotizes black people to use as vessels for brain transplants. And he chose the childish Gambino song Red Bone for the opening credits. Let's listen to a little bit of that. Stay woke. Don't you close your eyes. In an interview with Hip Hop DX, Jordan Peele said the stay woke lyric is basically what the movie is all about. He said the audience needs the film's characters to, and this is a direct quote, be smart and do things that intelligent and observant people would do. But this song also marks the time when we're saying the phrase stay woke becomes really popular and starts to change. Elijah, what were some of the new connotations of woke that we saw emerge a few years ago? So I think post Erica Badu entering into Redbone, Jordan Pills Get Out, we began to see it on one end transform more into, and I believe it was a New York Times essay that really hit it on the head, but how it was like perceived as this badge of honor for um, a signifier of performative allyship. Um, and just how, you know, from brands being labeled, oh, they're the woke brand, or this is a woke chef, really kind of diluting it, um, from the harsh realities of it. You know, Georgia, Georgia was very poignant with her definition of it. And I'm sure maybe throughout the years since it may have changed, but it, to be woke is not fun. It is a very harsh reality and it is a to not to not be aware and ignorant of social inequalities injustices is a privilege um to truly be woke you're probably not flashing it around like a badge of honor you too are probably also frustrated and mad that progression isn't being made in a much more quicker way as it should be. So on one end, you have this performative way of seeing it. And as we've seen more recently on the side with right-wing figures like DeSantis is, as you know, you mentioned in the intro, um, just this catch-all term for things that they just don't like. <laughs> whether, and that coming up in different forms, whether it be, you know, his don't say gay bill or wanting to even hinting at separating from um, AP courses because of the college board's African-American studies course. Um, and I mean, to an extension, we see this right with critical race theory, a term that very much has a definitive definition, but has become mutated into something else entirely than what it actually is in the hands of right-wing figures trying to push forth, you know, their regressive agendas in the way that they see fit. I'd like to step back just like a half step into what you had said. You were talking about kind of the performative use of woke. Um, 
I mean, I'll, I'll, let's just name it. I mean, I, I think a lot of that is white liberals. I mean, how do you hear them using and affecting that idea of wokeness and maybe injuring it? So I, I wouldn't say I, at least within uh, uh, close white friends, um, I think they no longer use it in earnest. It, and that's the other thing I should also mention is that, you know, there, there's, it's now kind of used in jest or ironically mm-hmm. people who are, it, and this goes back to William, right? Is that when a word kind of loses its meaning in the black community, we no longer not just use it, but we'll probably also poke fun at it because it, we understand that it's no longer ours, but we've already made a new word in place of that. So that also happened where it's like, you have this ironic use of the term because it no longer has the significance that it has. But I think, you know, speaking to that performative aspect, that's a part of the charm of Get Out, right? Is the husband being like, I would have voted, voted for Barack three times if I could you know, or, or the girlfriend stepping in when Daniel Kaluuya's character is being harassed by the cop, you know, just these, these, these instances that kind of really don't speak to a larger kind of way of allying yourself, you know, and going back to what I had said previously is that, you know, if you if you truly believe that you're woke, you're you're probably not happy about it. You're you're just right. as frustrated, you know, as as you should be. When Florida Governor Ron DeSantis won his reelection last year, he gave a speech that The Washington Post called the MAGA version of Winston Churchill. And I'll just quote a little bit of it here. He said, we fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. When you hear someone like DeSantis say those words, Linda, what do you hear? I hear someone who, uh, in some sense, is being performative uh, because we knew at that time, or at least I thought, that he probably had presidential aspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear somebody that is trying to take away uh, any associations or affiliations that people or coalitions that people may have had in order to try to move the country to a more equitable stance for all people. Uh, And again, you know, regardless of race, sex, religion, whatever it may be, uh, I I think he's performing to a certain segment of the population who feel that they have been harmed by wokeness. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is sort of otherizing (laughs) Uh, the populations. Uh, that's what I hear and see. Uh, I mean, you know, with his pedigree <laughs> credentials, uh, I think he knows better. 
uh, although when he was teaching history, uh, he may not have taught it exactly the same way that I did. <laughs> uh, he he may have been of the uh, school of history, you know, that Archibald Dunning school of history that <laughs> did not exactly portray things as they really were. Uh, so I, you know, I sort of see him in that vein. I, I just think he's 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 self-promoting in a in a way, but using people who are not as aware as he may be. Right. How do you see that kind of thing playing out right now in Tennessee, particularly in our legislature? Well, uh, you. <laughs> kind of put me on the spot there. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you had a legislator that wanted to amend a bill to include, you know, lynching from a tree. Mm-hmm. For, for those who haven't been paying attention to the news, this was a suggestion in if we can't do lethal injection, Jeez. how could we carry out the death penalty? And one uh, Representative Paul Sherrill wanted to amend the bill to include hanging from a tree. Hanging from a tree. You have um, one bill that's particularly of interest to Nashvilleians, and it passed the House yesterday, I believe, is the reduction of the Metro Council from 40 members to 20. And I know those who are not familiar with the history of Nashville and the consolidation of Nashville and and Davidson County. But it's that size for a reason, right? It's that size for a reason. And and if you don't know that history, you don't understand why you have 40 members. Uh, you know, and this happens to be the 60th anniversary of the consolidation of, of Metro Davidson County. And that reason is to ensure that reason, black representation. It is to ensure African-American uh, representation on the council. Uh, and... 63, when it passed, uh, you had two African-American council members, uh, attorneys Z. Alexander Luby and Robert E. Lillard. Uh, when it passed, they were joined by three other African-Americans, Mansfield Douglas, Harold Love, and um, John Driver. Uh, and I, I haven't ca- I don't know what the count is now, but it's representation. Uh, and, you know, if this bill passes the Senate, uh, we're going to see a major change. If you think you have difficulty getting in touch with your council person now, wait till it's 20. Right. For both of you, I'd just like to know, what would you like to say to the people who were using woke as an insult? Elijah, what would you say to them? Um... I would say just grow up. Um, it's, you know, it's sad because the ultimate thing about this, right, is all of it is what I would say underneath a broad scope of accountability and understanding. And how can we get to that place if we are constantly trying to sweep things under the rug and especially as it pertains to black people in this country not being able to really address the grievances 
and the hurt and the pain, you know, when I think of, you know, DeSantis just wanting to erase history or even other, other states wanting to kind of dilute the significance of slavery, it, it does more harm than good to shield away from these harsh realities because we do that and we're not learning from it. And that's the frustrating part is that in using this word in this way, you're doing more harm than good because you're not allowing, you're not allowing this country to truly reckon with itself and understand things more to actually progress in the right direction for everyone and equitably, as, as Linda said. Linda, what would you like to say to these people using woke this way? They need to push back and, and you know, understand that African-Americans and, and other people are not trying to make anyone feel bad about the sins that may have been committed by the nation. I mean, surely, you know, when you look at the first 17, 18 presidents, they all own slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just want to have our personhood recognized. Uh, African-Americans have fought in every war that this country has ever fought, including the first one. Uh it's, it's, it's time, you know, I often go back and think about 9-11. Mm-hmm. When those planes came to New York and went through those various buildings, they did not discriminate. Those planes were not looking for black people. They were not looking for white people. They were not looking for any particular racial group. They were aimed at Americans, period. So how have we gotten so far from when around that time we were closer together as a nation, and now we are so divided uh, simply because people are misusing the term woke or wokeness. It it doesn't mean uh, that one group is trying to run over another group. I mean... You know, we are all Americans. You know, I go back and I still think about that song uh, by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. It's time for everybody to wake up. You know, we're talking about third graders. If they can't read, being retained. It's time for teachers to, you know, come up with some new ways. But you have teachers doing what? Leaving the field. So you're saying we're all in it together. Let's acknowledge that. We're all in it together. And... um, if America goes down, it's not going to just be white Americans. It's going to be everybody that's included in this country. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Linda Wynn is Assistant Director for State Programs for the Tennessee Historical Commission. And Elijah Watson is News and Culture Editor for OK Player. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about how has the understanding of wokeness changed and, and how that plays out for folks here in Nashville. If someone called you woke, would you consider that a good thing or a bad thing? 
Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Nina Cardona, and this is Nashville. Barry Beckham's play, Garvey Lives, about the civil rights pioneer Marcus Garvey, contains a really great line. A character says, I've been sleeping all my life, and now that Mr. Garvey done woke me up, I'm going to stay woke, and I'm going to help him wake up other black folk. There is such a vibrancy to that idea of being fully awake and aware and plugged into something important and meaningful. As we heard before the break, that's the idea of wokeness that carried over until just a few years ago. But is that even what woke means anymore? To explore this, I'd like to welcome my next guest. Jamel Campbell-Gooch is a community organizer with the Black Nashville Assembly, and Joshua Black is a Nashville comedian and visual artist. Thank you both for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Really great to be here. Welcome to This is Nashville. It's a thick topic we got going on. (laughs) We're going to get right to it, though. Yeah, please, let's do it. All right, Joshua, a few years ago, if another comedian came off the stage and said, man, this crowd is woke, Mm -hmm. what would that mean to you Uh, a few years ago? That means... um, a few years ago, if somebody said they're woke, I'd be like, okay, cool. They're like, um, they're intelligent, they're sharp, and they can handle some some smarter jokes. And now? And now if somebody comes off stage and says, hey, that was a woke crowd, I'm like, okay, so they were annoying, they were pretentious, <laughs> <laughs> they were rolling their eyes, and they were walking out, and I'm like, there's going to be one of those. They're you know? not laughing. <laughs> no, no, a lot of times they're not laughing. They're judging or taking notes or writing Yelp reviews or just doing other annoying things. So yeah. do, do you think white liberals have given woke a bad name? Man, it's very nuanced. Um, but yeah, for sure. But it's um, but like the blackness, I think we have a code regardless. It could be stay woke. It could be, hey, look alive. It's like a cultural thing to where if we're around or if you're the only two black people at work, you're like, you just even if it's a nod, it's like, hey, I acknowledge you. Stay, look alive. So whether that word changes or whatever, I think that's just a black thing. That'll always be here. And then wokeness is just something um, that's that started off as calling out bigotry and then has grown into almost like a, a mob-like mentality. And I think people are realizing their power and they're taking advantage of it as opposed to being responsible. And when you do that, when you're taking out people and you're attacking all the time, it makes it not as potent when there's a real problem. Now the masses don't care because you're always crying about something. And most of the time I look into what you're crying about, it's nothing there. So it, we, it's almost like the, the boy who cried wolf in, in that sense. And it's very, it's grown into a very selective outrage to, to bounce off my brother Chris Rock. Jamel, a lot of your work is about opening people's eyes mm-hmm. to injustices mm-hmm. and inequities. When there is this negative connotation to caring about that thing, those kind of things, mm-hmm. how does that affect what you do? Um, I think it affects it in, in several different ways. I think um, there's, there's an updating of language that often takes place in the streets before it happens to mainstream. I think what happened at this point is words that we have used for years have now entered into the mainstream. And we've seen this before with the co-optation of very various social movements. So I think... The way it works now is we still say things like look alive, one eye open, be aware of your surroundings, which is all around woke, right? 
um, but still the idea of like being able to understand context, what's happening in your community, how can we work on these things together? I think that is the thing that we still try to point to. Right now, I think the system and the people that look to do our community harm are actually trying to distract us by defining what woke is instead of us actually doing what the original intent of the word is, which is getting together being members of organization and working on these social ills that we can solve and will ha- and have solved in previous iterations of the movement. Does it get in the way when you're communicating beyond the black community and trying to, to point attention to saying, hey, the rest of Nashville see these things that we see? Yeah, sometimes, but I think it's the same way that social media gets in the way. Sometimes it's the same things when these performatives or, represent- or representative things get in the way of actually organizing for power. So as a community organizer, What we try to do, uh, even in the Black Nashville Assembly, is instead of working on defining words and conjecture, we actually try to go into the the roots of the problem. How can we actually get better housing? How can we get better living wages? How can we get things like that? How can we actually raise the literacy rate of our young people? Instead of trying to wade in the water of defining words, let's actually talk about how 37208 got one of the highest incarceration rates. Let's talk about how the city infrastructure actually demolished and destroyed a community by building an interstate through 37208. Let's talk about those things and those effects and how we cannot relive those things and actually use context to see ourselves in the future versus debating and arguing over a word that has entered into mainstream and been co-opted and subverted um, and actually is using to make sure that we can't unify around social issues that I think people and everyday people have the power to solve. When Fox News does co-opt a term Mm -hmm. like this, Mm -hmm. um, or whoever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) when they Mm -hmm. all, when when a term gets turned on its head like that, Mm -hmm. I mean, does it close ears? Does it does it complicate the discussion and, and put a hurdle in the way? Yeah, I think so. I think some ears is closed. But what I would say as a community organizer, those ears were looking to be closed in certain ways, because if, if we're doing it right, then the actual harm of, let's say, housing. Right. If somebody doesn't have a house then they're not going to be worried about the definition of a word. They're going to be worried about getting their basic needs met. And I think sometimes we get distracted. Right. And I also think like. The, the 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 powers that be that don't want us to get together, that don't want us to unify, that don't want us to solve these issues, actually want us to get distracted by shiny things instead of us actually working on those issues to get things like housing, living wage. And if we look at how Nashville is right now, we know, like, when we talk about woking and knowing our, our conditions, right, we can talk about the city budget. Now, am I going to bring up the word woke when we're talking about it? Probably not, but I'm going to talk about what, is, what do our budget allocations mean for our priorities? Why does it look like that we're willing to allocate so much for a Titan Stadium when we're not talking about fully funding education, right? And I think that that ability to use context to actually build momentum and social movements, I don't think it's ever going to leave. But that is the thing that folks are trying to attack. Joshua, as a comedian, when woke is used as a weapon to police people's expression, thoughts, and opinions— how does that affect your ability to use humor to, to spotlight and to comment on your lived experience as a black man? It does, man. And I think the ironic part, which we got to get to, is like how much like Republicans and hard right Republicans and black people don't coexist or like each other. But then every now and then there's like how a dead clock is is right once a day or whatever they say, whatever, however that's. <laughs> right, right, right. But like sometimes I hear the Fox News talking about a white liberal critique and I completely agree. 
And as a black man, I'm like, whoa, it becomes almost confusing because society has told me that these are my allies, these are my friends. But I'm like, I also understand the hypocrisy in this wokeness and your aggression. Like, for instance, because um, it's, it's so selective. So it makes me not care about the actual passion behind it. Because I remember when um, uh, uh, Travis, Travis Scott at a concert and a lot of people were saying, and a lot of people died at it because it was like a rock concert, and people passed away, unfortunately. It was horrible. Right, when they rushed the stage and yeah. got caught, yeah. And this yeah. man is performing in front of hundreds of thousands of people, and people are saying, how did you not stop? And they're calling him a violent man, and they're, they're throwing him away, saying, we need to cancel Travis Scott. He's being so irresponsible. People died. Almost throwing it on him as if he's an EMT or a paramedic or something. But then a week later, Alec Baldwin killed somebody on set, but you know, just because they were they were playing around. The family of the people said, hey, they were doing too much. It was kind of being irresponsible. But no one had that energy for him. Mm-hmm. So when I look at white liberals attacking Travis Scott and attacking other black people constantly with this passion, and then when white people do the same thing and you don't, it makes me say, dude, you're, you're full of bull. Like, I can't believe you now. Because so, you only care about what you care about, and it's not necessarily me. So when Republicans sometimes say, I don't like the mob mentality, I'm like, I don't either, fam. I don't like y'all, but I also understand this critique. So I, I don't really see it, I, you know, from a black perspective. I, I don't. I'm not really a liberal. Uh, you know, of course, they are closer to my my, my views than Republicans are. But I have a, a fine critique of of some of that as well. Um, and unfortunately, we only have two parties to join here, so mm-hmm. it's not like. Would you say the attack on wokeness is just kind of cancel culture by another name? The attack on wokeness is uh, mostly that's a white thing. Because it's like it's like the white right not liking that the white left is making progression. That's really mm-hmm. all that is. And that scares them. And a lot of times the progression is good for black people, and that's great, and they hate that too. So it's not like they the black—I mean, the white Republicans like black people at all. They're trying to conserve—they're conser- they're trying to conserve and reserve their whiteness, their white supremacy. And a lot of times the liberal agenda is— taking that away from them. So that's what they're really fighting. They're pushing propaganda to say, hey, every time you see somebody trans or black, dismiss them by calling them woke. So mm-hmm. it's really, it's, it's a it's a tactic. But as a black person, I feel like you don't have nothing to do with me. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. Ironically, because it's a, it's a term about black consciousness. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? What do we lose when it becomes mm-hmm. dangerous mm-hmm. to be perceived as woke? I think we lose context. I think we lose the collective remembrance, right? And I think we also get locked into this perpetual cycle of actually making the same mistake over and over again. If we can't remember our mistakes, then, I mean, my mama used to say all the time, you're going to remember, you get lessons from every mistake. But if we can't remember mistakes or where we failed or where we might have made each other uncomfortable or upset, then we actually don't have the ability to actually learn from our failures. And I think, like, when we have an attack on wokeness, we also have an attack on how we remember the past, how we remember how we remember Jim, the Jim Crow South, chattel slavery, things like that that are so foundational to the actual generational harm that people are experiencing. And because we can't remember that, then solutions like guaranteed basic income to make up for the wage gap or actually having a real discussion on reparations, not only reparations for us, but reparations for anyone that has been harmed. We can't have that discussion if we can't actually remember the thing that we're trying to fix. So I think we actually lose progression and the ability to actually heal each other and work together as a community and build out a future where we all have our basic needs met. What do you think is at risk, Joshua? Um, well, yeah, like you said, context mainly, because even Malcolm X was saying once that uh, black people in America are sleeping giants. Right. Which also refers to 
being awake Wait. once they are awake. Mm -hmm. But what he means by that is like consciously, once we're unified in our, our understanding of who we are, which was taken away from us, then they're going to be a problem because they're going to be a revolutionary black people in America, which is a problem. So, yes, you have to. The attack on wokeness is dangerous to that degree. But I think that philosophy and that culture of being conscious in in the, the land of the wilderness, if you will, mm -hmm. is in black culture regardless or if if woke, I think woke may be trendy today, mm -hmm. and there is kind of nuanced because of the white liberal aspect of it. But at the end of the day, I think that's ingrained in black culture. I don't think that's and the and and the love of that is going mm -hmm. anywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't because we can't risk it. We yeah. can't we can't we can't function every day without being vigilant, without being woke, because it is dangerous for us to be sleep. Yeah. Right. And and in and, and in that waking of that giant, we actually have progressed. And we've seen the giant wake up before, like with the Southern Nonviolent, uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, organizations like that, when there were mass movements and progression being done for everyone. So I think that's important to remember. Yeah. And real quick, I think black people need to pay attention to white liberal aggression mm -hmm. because it's very, very potent and it's very powerful when it's going and, and it's useful when it's attacking the right and the mm -hmm. Republicans and the race and the white supremacists. But sometimes the gun just swings and it hits black folks and it, and it hurts a lot and it's very dangerous and they're very swift. So we, we need to pay attention to that. And also white liberals need to kind of be more aware and maybe thinking, maybe not, not I'm not trying to put everybody in the box, not that everybody's pretentious, but sometimes it becomes a, I know, if you disagree with me, you're canceled, you're out of here. Maybe pay more attention to see because I think if we're born in America, racism is just innate, right. whether it's self-hate, self-love, white right. supremacy. I've said stuff. I'm like, whoa, that's that's white supremacy within me. So I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody. But right. sometimes we have to look at our look in the mirror, look at ourselves and say, hey, am I part of the problem? Could they be right? Could I be doing being too aggressive toward this black person right now? So because I got harassed in the parking lot by Karen and she was a liberal that voted for Obama. Right. You know what I mean? So right. you just you got to. Right. Be stay woke. Stay woke. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> Gotta stay woke. That's what Josh just described. <laughs> this is incredible. Uh, we are down to the last seconds wow. of the show, but. What do you think about the timing of it all? Uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting as our communities are actually having a fruitful discussion on the ground of what it actually means to be safe and actually what public safety means and including things like fully funded education, housing for all, living wages, guaranteed basic income, reparations. As we're having that conversation on the ground, this idea of wokeness is coming up. So I think it's in refute of what the people are actually doing. Also, uh, for me and Jamel, thank you, WPLN, for having us. This is great. I love it. Metro Center is great. It's right close to my apartment. Thank y'all so much. To, it, give us a voice to talk about this real uh, dope thing. So and thank that you. was comedian and artist Josh Black. Ooh. He was joined by Black Nashville Assembly's Jamel yes, Campbell Gooch. Thank you both for being here today. Anytime, anytime, literally anytime. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we're bringing you a Citizen Nashville episode with the resources you need to get your personal finances in order. It is, after all, almost tax time. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Dr. Ebony McGee and Dr. Molly Kirby. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs>